The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself and for your male and female slaves and for your hired worker and the sojourner who lives with you and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. All its yield shall be for food. And then turning over to verse 18. Therefore, you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them. And then you will dwell in the land securely. The land will yield its fruit. And you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year? If we may not sow or gather in our crop, I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year when its crop arrives. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens. Dear Lord, we ask that you'll be with us, Pastor Bob, as he brings this message to us about the, the Sabbath year. And we thank you that even the land is your ownership. And we ask that you'll be with uh, we ask that you'll bless us, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, consider uh, this particular passage, uh, the Sabbath year, the subject of which, under three main points. One, the keeping of this Sabbath year, secondly, the breaking of it, and thirdly, the learning from it. So first of all, the keeping, secondly, the breaking, thirdly, the learning from it. Well, how were they to keep this Sabbath year? Well, God gives a very specific command. Six years, you're to go about your normal activities of planting, pruning, Harvesting and reaping. But the seventh year, you're to do none of it. You are to do nothing in regards to the land. You are to give the land a rest. Even as God gave a pattern for man, that man was to rest on the seventh day, God now gives a pattern for the land. And we have to say this is a specific land. This is not land in general. This was a land that the Israelites were going to inherit. It was the land that God was going to give to them 
as a people, as a nation. We are dealing here with the land of Canaan. This was not a command that God said, hey, you Egyptians, you need to keep this too. You Babylonians, you need to do this too. That's not the land that he is dealing with. It is this promised land. It is this land that is their inheritance. It is this land that God is giving to them out of his grace. That land is to be given a rest once every seven years for an entire year. And, and as you follow it through, that means that, that you have a harvest of the sixth year. You do nothing okay, in the seventh year. You plant in the eighth year, but you don't get that harvest until perhaps, depending on the various crops, late in the eighth year or even into the ninth year. That is what God is commanding them to do. There is some debate within the the passage as to whether or not they were actually able to, okay, we can't plant, but but if uh, a stalk of wheat comes up on its own in the field, are we able to go and harvest that? There is some debate as to whether or not that was allowable for the poor or whether it wasn't. Okay? There's ways of reading this that makes it sound like God's prohibition is upon the person who owns the land. You're not to do that. But the laws of gleaning would seem to have allowed for it. But that's probably a a minor side point in terms of the law. But there is another component of this that's not found in, in Leviticus, but is found in Deuteronomy. So I want you to turn to the 15th chapter a moment of the book of Deuteronomy. Because God addresses this Sabbath year here as well. Because there's there's another aspect as to what the Israelites themselves were to do. Verse 1, at the end of every seven years, so once again it's a Sabbath year, You shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. Of a foreigner, you may exact it. But whatever of yours is with your brother, your hand shall release. But there will be no poor among you. For the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess if only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he promised you and you shall lend to many nations but you shall not borrow and you shall rule over many nations but they shall not rule over you. So the second component, the second part of this Levitical Sabbath year law was that if a fellow Israelite has borrowed from you, you are to forgive the debt, whatever is remaining of that debt. Now it didn't qualify for a foreigner. 
That wasn't the law for a foreigner, but of a fellow brother, a fellow Israelite. If they had come in year one and said, you know, I need to borrow X from you in order to plant or in order to, to uh, feed my family, whatever it was, okay, you, you're, you're to cancel that debt when that seventh year came. And God's purpose was, as he specifically says in Deuteronomy 15, so that there would be no poor. This was God's command. It seems like, I mean, compared to some of God's commands that go into great detail, pretty straightforward. One, let the land rest. Two, give release to anybody who owes you that you have lent to. Two things. But God promises, because he answers the natural question, how are we going to eat? Right? That's verses 18 through 21 of chapter 20. How are we going to eat? Wait, wait a minute. This is nuts. This makes no sense. This is a, that, that's the most foolish law one could think of. How, what are we going to eat, not only in that seventh year, but what are we going to eat throughout that eighth year? We weren't able to even plant. How's that going to happen? God comes and God says, I am going to bless the sixth year of your harvest in such a way that you will have provision for even up to three years, even into the ninth year. And here's where we may look at it and, and come back to that original question, could the landowner himself harvest? It's like God is saying, no, you won't need to. Just leave that. Leave that for the poor. Leave that for those who need to glean. Leave that, leave that. They can walk through your field and take those come up on their own type seed plants. But not you. And you don't need to do it because I am so going to bless that six year. Your harvest will be so plentiful, you'll have enough to carry you through. Boy, that's still quite a stretch, isn't it? Imagine you, you're, you're, you're part of these people who, who eventually make your way into the land of Canaan. You've conquered the land. Okay? You've driven out the nations. You're settling down. And you, you plant in that first year. You have a good crop and so on and so forth. You do it for six years, and that sixth year, it's like, oh, we got an abundant crop. That's good. What are you going to do in the seventh year? Do you remember the law of the Lord your God? Do you follow it? Well, it would really be nice if, if God had, had at least given them an example of this, wouldn't it? He did. For over 40 years, God gave them a weekly example. Every sixth day, God blessed the manna that fell. And they were to gather. And when that manna was used on the seventh day, 
not used up. Because they were commanded, you remember, in regards to that manna, don't go out and gather it. Don't you go out and gather it. Stay in your tent. Right? It's not that the... It, 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 and, and, and those who disobey, there's all sorts of problems they have with this. But God says, look, every sixth day, I bless you with enough for the seventh day. Every sixth day, week after week after week, year after year after year, throughout their entire journey... From before they get to Mount Sinai to while they're at Mount Sinai to the 40 years wandering in the wilderness until the day they crossed the Jordan. God gave them that weekly example. See, you can trust me with the seventh. You can trust me with it. I'll provide. Look, I'll do it this week. When you get into that land and, and you remember that this command that you're to keep the Sabbath year and give the land a rest, and you're tempted to be, oh, I don't know. Remember what I did for all of these years, every sixth day, blessing that sixth day, and you never went hungry on the seventh. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to do the same thing. With this Sabbath year. I gave you a reminder and reminder and reminder and reminder and reminder. Trust me. Trust me. I promise. That if you keep my commands. You will dwell in the land securely. So God not only issued a command, God provided for the command. He's answering all of the questions. And God gave them an example. How'd the Israelites do? Not real well. Not real well. They batted eh, about half. About 50% of the time when you look up and figure out the years that they're in the land but we'll finish that thought out. But they didn't do real well. Turn with me to the book of Exodus, or the book of Ezekiel, a moment. Ezekiel chapter 20. Because this subject of these Sabbaths comes up in the book of Ezekiel. And if you remember, the book of Ezekiel is written while they are in captivity in Babylon... Ezekiel himself is there, and he's answering the question of the people, why are we here? How, how come we're not in the land of Israel? How come we're not in the land that God promised us? Why are we here? Why are we captives in this land? What happened that brought us here? And God, through various visions and dreams uh, that he gives to Ezekiel, answers that question, okay? And in the 20th chapter, okay, God is, through Ezekiel, answering their question. Ezekiel chapter 20, let's go down to, uh, well, let's pick it up at verse 9. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they live. 
in whose sight I made myself known to them in bringing them out of the land of Egypt. So I led them out of the land in Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. I gave them my statutes and made known to them my rules by which if a person does them, he shall live. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths, not the Sabbath. He's not talking about the Sabbath day, right? The Sabbaths. More, plural. Hang on to this thought. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbath as a sign between me and them that they may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, but rejected my rules by which if a person does them, he shall live. And my Sabbath they greatly profaned. Pick it up at verse 16. Because they rejected my rules and did not walk in my statutes and profane my Sabbaths, for their heart went after their idols. Pick it up again at verse 21. But the children rebelled against me. They did want walk in my statutes and were not careful to obey my rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live. They profaned my Sabbaths. Then I said, I will pour out my wrath upon them and spent my anger against them in the wilderness. But I withheld my hand and acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nation in whose sight I had brought them out. Moreover, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the nations and disperse them through the countries because they had not obeyed my rules but had rejected my statutes and profaned my Sabbaths. And their eyes were set on their father's idols. What keeps coming back? They didn't follow my rules. And what rule is it that Ezekiel continues to lay before them? You broke my Sabbaths. You broke the Sabbaths. Jeremiah prophesies in Jeremiah 25 verse 11 back in the land of Judah, he prophesies that they were going to go into captivity for 70 years. That God was going to bring a nation against them, was going to remove them from the land. They would still continue to be a people, but he's removing them from the land. Turn with me to 2 Chronicles. Chapter 36, and then we'll bring this this point full circle so that we have it in a more synopsis form. Second Chronicles chapter 36, we're at the end of Judah as a nation. Verse 20, he took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. What's the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah? They're going to be taken away captive for 70 years. God's doing that now. Notice until the land had enjoyed 
its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. What is the reason that we're reading is the punishment of these people? They did not keep the Sabbath. What Sabbath? The Sabbath year. They did not do this. So God is removing them from the land for 70 years. A year for each of the seven-year periods that they did not keep it. 70 times 7 is 490 years. There were 70 times in the life of the nation of the people of Israel and Judah. There were 70 times spanning seven years, 490 years, in which they did not keep this Sabbath year. You might say, well, how long were were they in the land? Well, to to kind of summarize it, from the day they crossed the Jordan into the land to the day that Nebuchadnezzar takes them away from the land. Okay, So get the picture. One is the entering the land. One is exiting the land. There's a period of time of about 900 years. 490 of those years, they are living in disobedience to God's command regarding the Sabbath. They might say, well, why is God so upset? I mean, mean, to let your land lie? Because this was an issue of trust. This was an issue of faith. Do you trust me? To do this thing, let your land set for a year. Do you trust my provision? Do you trust my care? Do you trust my promises? Do you trust my covenant? Do you trust that I am watching over you? Do do you trust that I care for you? Keep my Sabbaths. The failure to keep those Sabbaths was, as God said in Ezekiel, a sign. A sign that you trust me. If you keep that Sabbath, that is a sign to me that you trust me. The fact that you don't go out in that seventh year and plant your crops, is that a sign you trust me? See, it's more than the law. It's what the law meant. It's what the law stood for. It is the picture of placing one's faith, one's trust in in the daily things of life. How much more daily can you get than a farmer, an agricultural nation, daily taking care of the land? of planting, of harvesting, of caring for. 
And now God says, don't do it for a whole year. Let it be. You say, well, what about that thing about releasing debt? Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you not think I will take care of you? Do you actually think you need that guy's 20 bucks? Or do you think I can take care of you? Do you think you need that man's $2,000? Or do you think I can take care of you if you forgive that debt? Do you need that man's $10,000? Or do you trust me that I will take care of you? the daily things of life. God's calling them to trust and they disobeyed. And for 70 years, God takes them away from the land so that that land can sit there and get the rest that it was supposed to have. My land shall have its rest, God is saying. And because you, because you were disobedient in not giving it its rest, I take you from the land. And I'm putting you in Babylon so that land remains desolate for a 70-year period of time. Was it kept? Obviously, sometimes. Obviously, there were times when Israel was faithful. One can read through the the books of Kings and Chronicles, and one can probably see times in which they were. Times in which the nation went back to the word of the Lord and said, this is what we must do. Times, for example, under Ahaz, when they're worshiping everything under the sun, and then you get the revival under Hezekiah, who goes back to the word of the Lord and says, we have sinned. We have fallen short of that which God requires. Most likely a reinstitution of all of God's laws. And that happened repeatedly. We read, for example, in the life of Joshua that the people did that which God commanded all the life of Joshua. That was 110 years. But it's also telling us how often they were disobedient. So thirdly, what do we learn from this? Well, the first thing is, perhaps, that this becomes a... So, so the great question is, has, have, have you as farmers, those of you as landowners, those of you as hobby farmers, those of you as gardeners, have you been sinning all along because you haven't given your land rest? You keep growing vegetables on it year after year after year. You've never kept this. Well, I have good news for you. You're not under an obligation to keep this. Say, why not? Because remember, it was that land. It was to that people and to that land that God gave this command. It was about that space of 30 by 60 miles that God was dealing with. We cover this in the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, chapter 19, Under this section, to them also as a body politic, he gave sundry judicial laws which expired together with the state of that people, not 
of obligating any other now further than the general equity thereof may require. And there's more said in that, that paragraph, but, it, but it's the idea. No, God gave it about that land. And that has expired. But there is a principle here that you and I are called to acknowledge. And we may say, well, how did, why did it expire? And I'll give you three reasons, quickly. Reason number one, because of the work and finished work of Christ. Two, because of Pentecost. Three, because in 70 AD, God made a final end with this land by tearing down and destroying that temple and said, no more. And throughout the book of Acts, we have example upon example of leaving behind the synagogue and going to the Gentiles. Leaving behind that land. But then you would say, well, what are the principles? It's no different than that which the law itself was truly after. Do we trust the Lord? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not upon your own understanding. How often isn't it that you and I can read through God's word and we come across a a promise, we come across a law that God gives to us and we go, that's not going to make sense in 21st century America. I'm not going to do that. Do you not trust the Lord today? Do you not think that God will honor the promises that he has made? Whether it's the the fact that we are to, as husbands, love our wives as Christ loved the church and give ourselves for her, we go, well, you know, you don't know my wife. She'll take all sorts of advantage of me if I do. Do you not trust the Lord? Wife, the command comes to you. Submit to your husband in the Lord. Hey, you don't know my husband. No, but the Lord does. And he still says, submit. Do you not trust him? Think of all the commands. Think of all the words. Think of all the promises that he gives. Trust in the Lord. See, in many of those things, they're day-to-day life, right? Lord, how often should I forgive my brother who sins against me? 70 times 7. Don't think that that number just arrived to Jesus. Let me pick some numbers. Do you notice what it coincides with? It coincides with Deuteronomy chapter 15. How often do I forgive? Hey, do I need to remind you guys of the 70 times 7, the 490 years? Yeah, but they'll. Do you not trust the Lord your God? God comes and he says, you're to marry a believer in the Lord as a Christian. Yeah, but nobody's showing up. So I'm just going to take whoever comes and shows an interest. Do you not trust the Lord your God? Do you think he made a command that you cannot keep?
see, he's calling all of us. We took a tithe a few minutes ago. I'm not giving God 10% for that offering. Oh, no, I'm going to take my 10% and I'm going to split it amongst various causes and call it all tithe. Do you not trust the Lord your God? Are you leaning on your own understanding? Well, I'm, I'm going to figure this out in a different way so I don't have to give as much. Are you trusting your own understanding? It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Don't you do it. Yeah, but God, that's not the way our world works today. Do you not trust the Lord your God? Are you leaning on your own understanding? See, you and I can look at this, this law of the Sabbath year and then hear, the Israelites didn't keep it? What, what kind of foolish people were they? The same kind of foolish people that looks back at me in the mirror in the morning. It's that same kind of foolish person who leans upon his own understanding rather than trusting in the Lord his God. You want to know what the Sabbath year command remains here for? You know why you and I ought to be reading this? You know why we don't skip Leviticus? Why don't we just skip this? Because it has everything to do with how you and I live from the moment we get up on day one to the moment we get up on day two. 24-7 has everything to do with do we trust the Lord our God. It is a reminder as well. What was that, that to be done in that Sabbath year? There was to be given a rest. A rest of obligations, debts, and a rest for the land. Where do we find today that rest? Do we look to a patch of ground? Do we look to a canceling of debts every seven years? Or is God reminding us in these things, yes, I gave it to those people then. But you have to see this as a foreshadowing of the greater thing. Of the fact that when Jesus Christ came, he forgave you all your debts. And it's in him and in him alone that you find your rest. Look with me at one verse very quickly in the book of Hebrews. It's Hebrews chapter 12. Book of Hebrews chapter 12. Our brother Mark is preaching through Hebrews, so this is just a comment. Okay? Not so much a sermon. But look at Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a crowd of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. The word that's used there for looking means to have the idea of to have a clear understanding of what he came to do. It has the idea of fixing one's thoughts upon the work of Christ. It has to do with the idea of, of 
concentrating on that which Christ has done for us. And, and now listen, looking to Jesus, having, having, I think the NIV used the term, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, which is certainly one of the clear understandings of the Greek. The founder and perfecter of our faith. He perfects our faith. He not only establishes our faith, he perfects that faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Look to him. See, when, when we come to these points, when we're, when we're tempted not to trust in the promises of God, in the word of the Lord, in the commands of God for us, when we're tempted to, to take on the world's philosophy and the world's thinking, when we're tempted to lean upon our own understanding, look to Christ. Look to Christ. And what do you see? You see one who endured the cross, but is now seated in glory. Remember those witnesses. You know who some of those witnesses are? Some of those witnesses are displaced Israelites because they didn't trust. Don't do what we did. Trust the Lord. Look to Christ. He's the debt canceler. And he is our rest for all eternity. Father, thank you.